Hello and welcome to 1111 with me, Kirsty Olive. In today's podcast episode, I chat to Emily, who is a hormone nutritionist. We had a really interesting conversation about supporting women's health and women's hormones through different nutrition options. We also took some time to answer questions that some of the women in my community had submitted ahead of time. Um, So I know that any woman who is on a healing journey or who is experiencing different symptoms in relation to women's health or in relation to the body in general will really, really benefit from listening to this conversation. Um, Me and Emily actually have quite similar backgrounds and stories in relation to some aspects. So we do get to talk about some of that and hopefully highlight some different points and issues that a lot of lot of women could really, really benefit from hearing. So I hope that you enjoy the episode and let's welcome Emily. So welcome, Emily, and thank you so much for joining us today. For those who are listening, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Sure. Thanks, Kirsty. It's so nice to be chatting to you today. Um, So I'm Emily and I'm a certified nutritional practitioner and I live in Vancouver in Canada. Um, I'm originally from Ireland, but I've lived here for the last eight years. Um, So I went back to school here to study nutrition a few years ago. And now I help women um, with their hormone health, mostly their hormone and gut health and helping them to beat fatigue, balance their hormones and improve their relationship to food. Wow, amazing. And how did you get into that, can I ask? Yeah, so I was a hairdresser for a long time, uh, for 10 years. So I was in a very different industry. But my background in Ireland, I grew up like in a holistic health centre. Um, that's what my parents did. And we owned a centre there. So that was my experience as a child, was being exposed to like lots of different kind of healing modalities and alternative health therapies. So it was always in my wheelhouse. Um, but after school myself, I decided to be a hairdresser and then I decided to travel around with that. And I went to Australia for a year and New Zealand for a year and then Canada. And I was still working in hair salons. And I always kind of knew that I wanted to go back to health at some stage. Um, I didn't really know what that looked like, but eventually I just began the nutrition course, um, the holistic nutrition course part time while I was still working in the hair salon. And at the time, I thought like it'll be maybe just more for personal interest uh, because I was always really interested in in food and health and I wanted to learn more. A big catalyst for going to nutrition school was I was just so overwhelmed with all of the wellness and health and nutrition information like online and circulating. Um, so I thought I'll kind of take matters into my own hands and I I studied that part time and then the COVID happened so the salon closed down and I ended up back in Ireland for four months and I was still able to study because it went online and then that was kind of that was kind of it then then after COVID I never went back to the salon and I finished out school I started my business and I also work in a naturopathic clinic as well. Um, so that's kind of how I got how I got here. And my yeah, my interest stemmed from being totally overwhelmed by all of the health information and my own struggles with um, like hormone health and anxiety 
um, and like disordered eating um, throughout the years. So that relationship to food peace was really, um, through nutrition school, it really was, was prevalent in my life. And the diet culture around good nutrition I was I was really struggling with like those two things um so then when I started my own business I wanted to incorporate like how can I teach people good nutrition but how can we also reevaluate the relationship to food because that piece that's like so often dismissed um with you know we're kind of a similar age like growing up in that era of diet culture and you know thigh gaps and everything's low fat and you know what the standard of beauty is and it's it's so conditioned into us um and then with like the growth of social media just being bombarded with it every day to the point that we don't even know we are it's it's so deeply conditioned into us and it, it was an interesting experience then studying holistic nutrition with this kind of going on in the background because you know and there's some studies done about kind of nutritionists that that study nutrition and it can like validate that disordered eating pattern too you know um which is so it's 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 an interesting thing to kind of meld the two things together um but I kind of I made that decision I was like good nutrition is extremely important um you know, to help with with conditions and general health and preventative health and all of these things. But women's relationship to food, like there is a huge disconnect and a huge problem there. And it was a lonely journey for me, like over the few years, over the past kind of four years of, um, you know, going through school and discovering this and starting up a business and trying to figure out like what my message is and what I want to bring to the world as a nutritionist. Um, so I developed the program kind of with myself in mind as I would have loved <clears throat> something like this, you know, four years ago when I was kind of like on a health kick, which was just over exercising and under eating. Like that's what it was and suffering hormonal issues and extreme anxiety. So I just I'm here just to help people now to to get through that and to overcome that and to try and fit like all of those pieces of the puzzle together. Wow. Oh, amazing. I'm so excited for this conversation now. Um, there's so much within that that really resonated with me. I really recognize, you know, within my own journey. Um, you know, I also like in the past had a history of disordered eating, although that was when I was much, much younger. Like that was when I was a child. And um, so I, you know, I really, really suffered very much with like it was just a lot of anxiety around eating but it was all to do with like texture of food um so I went through a stage where for like a few years the only thing I would willingly eat was tomato soup <laughs> um, and so I like and this was back when maybe there wasn't as much like support or awareness mm -hmm. or knowledge around how to deal with disordered eating and so I was literally false fed, you know, um, mm -hmm. I was like pinned down sometimes mm -hmm. and food like forced into my mouth. I was sat at the table sometimes for like six on hours on end with my mm -hmm. food just being reheated and reheated and reheated until I'd eat like a certain mm -hmm. portion of it. And of course, those things just created even more anxiety and disorder and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but 
as I grew up, you know, like and worked not necessarily on that, but just on my overall anxiety levels and mm-hmm. um, that kind of faded away. But it's something that's really stuck with me that like, oh, there's a lot of people out there who really don't know how to even talk to somebody with disordered eating or how to even begin to understand what that is or that relationship you know with them and food and stuff Mm -hmm. and then I actually my first kind of qualification interestingly enough I was a barber so you were a hairdresser I was a barber okay yeah um um, but then my first kind of qualification that led me on the path that I'm on now was personal training Um, and in particular I wanted to be a personal trainer for women because I, I recognized just like yourself, you know, like through my own journey with food, but then also the world of social media, I knew like there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like pressure and expectations and there's almost, I mean, I love, I love social media for anybody who's listening. I'm not slagging it. Um, like mm-hmm. social media is a huge, huge tool for me in my mm-hmm. life you know, to connect with people, find new information, discover things. I love it. Um, But there's also that other side of social media where anybody can post anything. And so there's almost too much information that it can then also have the, the opposite effect of creating fear around food again. So instead of fixing the issue, what I've often had is people coming to me and saying, okay, Kirsty, I've read this, that, and it says, for fertility try and eat this food but then I've seen something else saying definitely don't eat this food if you're trying to get pregnant so which is it mm-hmm. you know so there's a lot of there's almost too much information yeah that it's creating a different level of fear and confusion around what to eat for women there is there is there's there's too much information and there's too much um like playing on people's pain points you know, because it's it's industry, right? It's the food and the fitness industry and the beauty industry that they make money off it. Um, but you know, and that's what that's what they do. They play on our pain points because you know, being skinny sells essentially. Um, so social media is a wonderful place for so many things, um, but it can also be a really dangerous place when it comes to things like that, like health information, disinformation, yeah, information about nutrition, um, and it's contradictory all day long like you you can't make head or tail of it you know you you have to just choose people that you trust um and, and listen to those people because it's yeah it, it's a huge world like that's there's there's too much information on there um but it, it most of it doesn't address like the root the root problems of, of addressing our relationship to food you know there's a lot of you know sculpt your body and shape your body but there's not a lot of, and the thing, I'll go back to your point of, you know, there's, there's this, um, you know, there's eating disorders and then there's a healthy relationship to food. And then like those two are maybe talked about a lot, but like right in the middle, there is the disordered eating. Right. And that kind of gets swept over. Um, so it's just bringing more awareness to that, that, you know, of course, people may not have an eating disorder, which is a different thing than disordered eating, but really bringing attention to that and bringing attention to how it's 
you know, how it's conveyed a lot in diet culture and diet mentality and in media, in social media. Um, so, yeah, it's it's having a lot of discernment around who you listen to and where you get your health advice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I this is something that I noticed a lot when so my kind of personal training journey began because I was really, really into weightlifting. So like strength training, bodybuilding, powerlifting, um, I was like obsessed. And I mean, in a good way, because it taught me discipline at a time in my life where I was a bit wild and didn't have any discipline. Um, so it really, really benefited me. And I mean, still to this stage, you know, I'm I'm always at the gym, always lifting. But my journey with that has really changed over the years because of some of the things that I witnessed mm-hmm. within the industry. Um, and because of maybe some of the harmful practices that were promoted by people who are supposed to be these like health gurus, mm-hmm. you know, or people who, for example, um, look amazing. I mean, they've got fabulous bodies. They look like in fantastic shape, but then behind that, actually like meeting some of these people or having conversations with them, getting to know them and seeing the truth behind what they were doing to get that and then obviously there's a lot of people on social media seeing that end result and thinking oh they must be really healthy I'm going to do what they're doing and not realizing what they've actually done to get there you know like a lot of kind of harmful practices and to just give a little bit of of my own experience um with that which was really really eye-opening for me and a big um kind of turning point on my journey so like for a long time I I had like I said grew out of the younger years situation that I had with food you know where I'd have to get like force fed and stuff and I try a lot of different stuff I was more adventurous and everything um but because of my like weightlifting lifestyle my life still really resolved revolved around food but in a different way You know, Mm -hmm. so it was like calorie counting, weighing every single thing, um, like meal prepping for the week. And I'm not saying meal prepping is a bad thing, but, you know, and that's just the kind of lifestyle that I was living at that time. So my full life was still revolving around food. And I was really pushing myself. This was in my early 20s. I was really pushing myself to see, like, how far can I take this, like with my, you know, weightlifting, with my bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And actually what happened was at at one point, my weight, so not necessarily my weight, because I actually, funnily enough, weighed the same as what I weigh now, but my body fat had gotten so low from my training and my diet and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. my periods actually stopped. Yeah. And at the time, that was just something that happened to women who were bodybuilding in the industry. Like it wasn't a big deal. Whereas for me, I, I, even though kind of knowing that and being surrounded by people who were like, yeah, it's normal happens, happens to me. I, it, it was still a shock to me. And it's only now looking back years later that I'm like, Oh my God, like that's serious. You know, like that's that's a really serious thing for people to be normalizing and for to to be pushing yourself to that extreme 
just to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, now obviously that I'm on this like womb healing journey and helping other women on this journey. And I remember back to that, like it it shocks me when I remember that that happened, you know, and it shocks mm-hmm. me just how normalized it was mm-hmm. in the, the industry that I was in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and that was also part of my my journey with the over exercise and under eating. Yeah. And where the hormonal issue stemmed from was the same thing happened to me. Um, so I, yeah, I can really relate to that. And, you know, it's very serious, as you said, and and dangerous for people to be, for that to be normalized. Um, it's, it's, it's scary um, that that's normalized and it's, um, it's so many people's experience. It's too many people's experience. Um, like what they're risking just to look good. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that was definitely saying. the turning point on my journey of when I began to train in a different way. Do you know, from that point on, it was almost like something in me just switched, and I was like, okay, now I want to train to be healthy. Hmm. Now I'm kind of releasing this expectation of how I want my body to look. Now I want to be strong. Now I want to have good endurance. Like now I want to be able to run and, you know, swim and not get out of breath and mm-hmm. wake up and actually feel healthy and good and happy in my body. You know, yes. I want my hormones to be balanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, what is the intention behind the exercise and relationship to exercise is also another like whole topic, right? That you could spend <clears throat> all day speaking about and as a previous personal trainer right you would have so much experience with that and that all goes all the relationships go hand in hand the one with food with exercise you know with your body and with yourself um and so many people as well I think of my clients around our age have had such a wild experience like you and um they've really come out the other end of it um but like you need support to do that and you need support when you say uh my period stopped you know and when you're a little bit younger like you at the time you're, you kind of don't think too much of it you think that's normal and and whatever and then some time goes on and you're like okay and then you're you start to worry about things like fertility and like just your general health right so it's um it's a huge cause of hormonal imbalances is like over-exercising um, and the anxiety piece comes into it too, right? The mental health piece, like where are you at with your mental health? How does that look? And how is that playing into the different relationships like with food and with exercise? Um, so that's something like we have to delve into with people. It's such a, there's so much to it, right? Like there's such a complex topic and everyone has such a different relationship with food and exercise and their body. And sometimes it's so hard to even speak about it so generally because everyone has such a different experience um, that, yeah, like all of the information I can talk about is, is kind of quite general, but obviously then it has to be so personalized for each person. Like even with your experience, like that's a lot of like that's a lot of trauma and anxiety around food that you suffered that you don't just automatically forget it's always a little bit there in the back of your head so kind of you know working through those issues being a personal trainer and that experience like working on your relationship to exercise but there is you know a lot more people now 
there's also a big movement too. There's a lot more people that are more interested in like reevaluating the relationship to food and to their body and, you know, learning a lot more self-love and doing some more deeper work than, you know, just trying to kind of tone and sculpt and be skinny. Um, you know, that's also, that is changing as well. And just want to be like a part of that change and support women through that change. Um, you know, for our generation, but also for the next generation, like when I think so many of us could say like, you know, if or when we had kids that we don't want them to be kind of so harshly conditioned around like food and their bodies um, that we were and have the same experiences that we'd like to experience more food freedom, you know, um, and balance. And yeah, food freedom is the biggest thing, though, like just learning how to like fall in love with food again and yeah. you know having a, that healthy relationship and knowing how to nourish yourself um and you know balance is a word that's thrown around so much I don't know how much weight it holds but you know have balance in your in your life um that you could still have like good nutrition and be healthy but food is like it's it's contradictory it's such a big part of it but it's such a small part of it you know have to take in like our mental and emotional state um and our environment and doing some by doing some deeper work on yourself then that kind of emanates out into other areas of your life you know for for real like good true proper health like it's more than just what you put in your mouth it's more than just like eating well you know I mean that's the thing like what does eating well even really mean you know mm -hmm. um and one thing that I like I really notice myself is that I mean first of all you know you said the younger generation growing up we were kind of fortunate in that we started to grow up without social media mm -hmm. and then it kind of came in more prominent maybe in our teen years yeah. onwards and that was bad enough <laughs> you know um, but imagine like growing up from even a younger age with social media the way it is now you know there's a lot more pressure there's a lot more expectation there's a lot more comparison um and you know as we know like social media is not reality a lot of the time it's not like an accurate reflection um and then thinking about like you know you said there's so many different ways we can go about this and talk about this and there's so many different paths it's funny because every single thing that we're saying is like sparking off all of these little offshoots of potential like paths or discussions. So it really is, it's not like a black and white discussion. No. Um, it goes very deep and it is complex, but then at the same time, what I notice a lot is like you said, maybe people really over focusing on what, they should or shouldn't be eating to maybe a point that it's creating even more stress in their lives and even more dysregulation because they're then maybe obsessing over, oh, can I eat this? I can't eat this. I have to do this. And I see this in particular with my fertility clients mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because obviously they're on this really like stressful, overwhelming, mm -hmm. intense journey, often with IVF, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I ask them, I'm like, okay, so tell me, what are you currently doing um, to support your fertility? 
And oftentimes I get this big long list, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, oh my God, like this list has been going on for 10 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end, I always just kind of like wait and I'm like taking it all in. And I just have to say to them, like, that sounds absolutely exhausting. You know, like how can one person possibly be able to to like spin all of those plates that you're trying to spin? You know, there's not enough energy for that. Like, exactly. of course, yeah, causing more stress and like, you know, orthorexia, you know, being too obsessed with with healthy eating is another is another end of the scale as well. Um, but too much pressure, too much stress on ourselves along with too much information um it's it absolutely causes like it it negates the effects of of eating that well if you're that stressed about eating that well and it it also falls into again like disordered eating and control around food and does food have more control over you than you have over it you know and control issues are are a big root there of of issues around food I mean, it's interesting that you say that because that was actually something um, in my early 20s um, when I was kind of going through this this huge shift in my life. That was actually something that my therapist said to me. He was like, is it possible that you're using food as a way to feel in control? You know, because like I said, I was weighing out every single gram and, you know, meal prepping for the week. Everything that I ate was like so carefully designed and put together. Of, this is what I'm going to eat. Um, and like when she said that to me at the time, I was really offended, you know, because I was in my bodybuilding phase and I was like, oh, how dare she, that bitch, yeah. you know, she yeah. didn't know me at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, she was 100% right. Yeah. You know, but she in that moment, like she planted the seed mm-hmm. and it took a while for that seed to to grow and for me to understand yeah. what she meant and to come yeah. to that realization and heal that kind of experience that I was going through. Um, but it's something it's something that I, I know I'm not the only person who's experienced that. I mean, control around food is a big thing for a lot of people because like you said it's a huge part of our lives yeah yeah like we have and it's, to eat mm-hmm, and it's like it's normalized yeah. so it's not like oh people aren't talking about it people are promoting it people are promoting tracking and counting and weighing and controlling you know every morsel that you put in your mouth so it's it's like it's normal it's it's glorified it's glamorized that's great you know good for you you're in the gym and you're weighing everything it's so that's that's what people now think that that's a great thing to be doing and then someone comes along and you know maybe suggests things like is that an element of control or you know how do you feel if you couldn't do that or don't do that and you know and kind of reality tests that and questions it and then that opens the whole conversation and this process is like it's not linear it's like any process like starting therapy you know working on yourself working on your nutrition your fitness your relationship to food your own relationships in life it's it's not linear and it's not always easy um you know and that the mind kicks in and the ego kicks in right um you know it's trying to keep you safe right but it's um it's not a linear process and there's a lot of there's a lot of learning involved and 
you need a lot you know most people it's helpful to have support during that time um because it's it's a huge deal for people for some people to to not count their calories you know or not track or what or not weigh what they're eating and it's also people have to be ready for that too i think maybe some people aren't ready to look at their relationship to food because there's always some deeper issues behind that um so it depends on where that person is in their life but i do find that a lot of women kind of more in their 30s are a lot more like open and willing to look at their relationship to food because they're sick they're sick of being on diets their whole life or hating their body or controlling what they eat or being afraid of food or you know hating the summer because they have to wear a bikini like they're they're over it and you know they're now in a space kind of it sounds like where you and I are of they want to be healthy and strong you know for themselves um and kind of for their future and for their future when they have kids um and learn and it's unfortunate because we don't learn any of this in school no. you know we don't learn about you know our hormones and how they affect us we don't learn about our relationship to food like you know we, we don't learn any of that so it takes a lot of unlearning and relearning when you get to this time yeah and this one thing as well that I kind of want to point out for anybody listening and let me know you your thoughts on this because this is just kind of my thoughts um and maybe a bit of the personal trainer in me mm -hmm. um but just to kind of also show the other side of that 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 I do believe though that there is also a time not for everybody but for some women where calorie counting can actually be really beneficial in the short term mm -hmm. with the right support and guidance mm -hmm. and the reason for that is is that and it's it's not for everybody but there's some people who, you know, will come, like, say, for personal training or for guidance around nutrition. And, you know, you can tell from maybe the initial conversation, uh, consultations and chats that they really have, like, no concept of, like, how much they're eating or mm -hmm. what's in certain dishes that they're eating. Like, they just mm -hmm. eat. Yeah. Um, and so... That's kind of this other end of the spectrum, you know? So you've got the one end where there's the people who are really obsessing over every little thing that they're eating. And then you've got the other end where people just eat and they have no idea what they're eating or how much they're eating. Yeah. Or, you know, they'll say, you know, oh, well, I, I must only be eating around this many calories when in fact they could be eating double that. Um, yes. And with regards to getting their health, in a better place and um, it can be really beneficial for some people in the short term because it helps them to just get an understanding of oh whoa <laughs> like I'm not eating what I thought I was mm -hmm. but using it almost as a vehicle to yeah to somewhere else rather than a a life you know totally. rather than always using that tool and both require um education right that's when you have to sit with that person in in that initial appointment and educate them on food yeah. that's a huge part of it um and it can be a great catalyst for great change as well it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing where they count their calories but it can be just a tool for them in that time and some edu education around food i mean that's essentially that's what it is um because you know we've also because as we, as we said we have so much 
kind of misinformation or misleading information around it um, that we then have to learn. So if things like that, you have to meet the person where they're at. Um, that's, you know, that's what I do. So you have to see what they come to you with and meet them where they're at um, and what they need to learn in, the, in that moment to get them where they need to be. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Where were you when I was in my early 20s? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'd love to actually know, you know, from the work that you do, what are some of the most like common like problems or things that people will come to you for? Yeah, um, so I deal with a lot of hormonal issues. So um, like short periods, um, long periods, missing periods, um, PCOS is a big one, um, endometriosis, and then also things um, like just general fatigue, um, gut issues, IBS, anxiety. They're like the most regular things I would say. Um, so, I mean, I could talk for hours about all of these things. <laughs> you might have to cut me off, but but that's mostly what what we deal with. Um, and then just trying to kind of get to the root cause of their issues. Um, and because it's all it's also interconnected too, right? Like people's emotional health with their physical health, right? So you know, maybe take IBS as an example. You know, if you're having anxiety and IBS and kind of which one is egging the other one on, which one is making the other one worse. Um, and with the hormonal issues, getting to the root cause of, you know, what is the disconnection and kind of the miscommunication in your hormones, what's causing it um, and how to kind of how to best um, start to balance out those hormones for you. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I'd love to in particular, because um, I know that a lot of the women who will be listening or a lot of the women that I also work with um, suffer from either endometriosis or PCOS. So could you just talk a little bit about um, about both of them and just like if somebody comes to you and they're suffering with, with one of those things, like what are the mm -hmm. kind of things that you would discuss or? Yeah, so and they're so they're so common um as well you know and especially yeah both of those have like lots of um like clinical diagnosis so people will, will come with those and um the PCOS um a lot of, a lot of the time I see with that is maybe like trouble getting pregnant um that can be one of the biggest things and weight management too um because it's like really closely linked with insulin resistance um which which could cause people to hold on to a lot of weight so they're the two biggest issues I see like with PCOS um so that requires its own kind of protocol to work through that um and to balance those those hormones and the endometriosis you know working on that um depends what they come with but usually it's kind of like an estrogen dominance um issue that they have so then working on again the root cause of why they might have estrogen dominance um is their progesterone low in relation to it or are they not detoxifying estrogens properly um and how they're how they're currently managing that um and what we can do more so through nutrition lifestyle and supplementation to help support um you know healing um and and managing the symptoms of these things um you know i i don't cure anything but we can like help and support and and heal through through nutrition lifestyle and supplements yeah mm -hmm. and i think i mean i think that's really important you know because 
for a lot of these women who are listening, they might have been to all of the doctors and all of the appointments and the specialists mm-hmm. and stuff and given some suggestions, but a lot of them haven't really been giving the given the support that they need or the information that they need in order to make these huge lifestyle changes. Because yeah. I mean, like, yes, you might think of like changing some foods is not that big a deal, but the patterns and the way that we eat and the foods that we eat are, you know, ingrained very deeply um, in part of our lifestyle. So it can be a huge change to get somebody to even switch up some of the foods that they are eating. Um, and yet a lot of a lot of women will go to these appointments, sometimes taking years to get the correct diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then eventually when they get the correct diagnosis, they may be just told, okay, try these things. Okay, bye now. And then it's yeah. kind of gone from the doctor's office. And then yeah. they're just left to try and fend for themselves. Yeah. So usually like by the time I see them, that's exactly what they've gone through, you know, and they they haven't just woken up and they have PCOS, right? And they call me. So it's like they've gone through this whole experience, usually for years, like years and years, usually of of hormonal issues and, you know, trying to get to the to the root of it and test after test and um, maybe medication after medication. And, you know, a lot of PCOS clients, you know, go into the doctor's office and okay well you have to lose some weight you know and that's it and maybe get sent home maybe get put on medical medication maybe metformin whatever right so by the time they come to me it's it's they've been on their own journey and sometimes it's kind of been a traumatizing journey for them um so really having that one-on-one you know curated support for that person that you kind of generally don't get maybe in like the general medical system um, that we can yeah work to s- properly support you, uh, teach you, you know, essentially about how nutrition and lifestyle can impact your hormones and, and improve these things. And they're all, you know, m- manageable, like all these symptoms and, you know, pain and PMS and, these things that people suffer especially with like endometriosis and, and PCOS we're talking about that particularly right now um that they're that they all are manageable through diet and lifestyle um and and it's so funny that you said huge lifestyle changes because it's even making small lifestyle changes yeah. you know that people aren't aware of you know they're not getting enough daylight maybe they're over exercising and they need to you know, cut down on their exercise. So maybe they think they're doing all the right things, you know, like I did, thought I was doing all the right things, you know, eating little green salads and over and over-exercising, you know? So then they come and they get a different perspective on how to, how to achieve like optimum health and how to deal with these conditions. And it's a supportive tool for maybe whatever else they're doing. Like maybe they're doing a, you know, a fertility program, you know, maybe IVF, like whatever they're doing or they're on medications, like it's just supportive for that. Um, yeah. And the body is, you know, it's a really, it's a really powerful thing and food is very powerful and putting all of those pieces together, it gives huge results for people, you know, um, and it gives women, you know, the big picture is it gives women their life back, like to be, you know, to be having these conditions and to be suffering with them. Like that's 
you know no one anyone that's listening that has gone through anything like that like you know and that has got got proper help and has been able to overcome those I'm sure they would agree like it's it's giving them it's given them their life back and I think as well for anybody listening who um maybe is thinking do you know oh I've 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 tried all the things mm-hmm. you know and it, it never works for me um I think it's really important to recognize that like you know having somebody's support who will look at you as a whole and look at your lifestyle in general as well as the foods you're eating and the exercise you're doing but also your stress levels your energy levels and stuff Mm -hmm. like the the power of that is really really something else you know because I mean I know for me personally not in relation to to this stuff but when I was on my like autoimmune journey and stuff like that um a lot of the kind of appointments and stuff that I was going to or support support systems that I was going to were just wanting to talk about the autoimmune disease and this was at a time in my life where I had in the previous two years had a complete mental breakdown I was diagnosed Mm -hmm. with complex post-traumatic stress disorder I had been Mm -hmm. having like 10 panic attacks a day like you name it I was going through it Mm -hmm. and yet when I was I was getting support for my arthritis like nobody was asking me like so what has been going on in your life like was there anything in your life that has been happening prior to all of this like being triggered and coming out and it was something that I was always very conscious of at the time and I was a bit like pissed off about it you know because something deep inside me like knew there's a connection here like it's not just by chance that I'm suffering with all of these horrendous horrendous symptoms only like two years after having a mental breakdown you know Mm -hmm. like this is all connected my body is like unable to 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 hold this unable to Mm -hmm. cope with this unable to deal with this but like why is nobody like helping me with all of it why am I getting sent to different people all of the different kind of parts or all of the different Mm -hmm. symptoms experiences when I know that it needs some I need somebody to see me and to understand that there's a whole big thing going on here you know yeah yeah, yeah that's I think that's, that's something that's often missing. Yeah, for sure. There's some <clears throat> some aspects that can be overlooked, you know. Um, and you know, that's why I studied holistic nutrition is because you 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 take in everything, you know, about that person. That's what you work on. You work on the whole person, the mental, emotion, mental, emotional, and physical. Um and I think it's a it's a huge piece of the puzzle that's missing for people that that want help and support it with no matter what they're dealing with, you know, whether it's they just want to eat better or they have hormonal issues or gut issues, autoimmune issues, whatever it is, um, you know, to be able to create this like container just for them, you know, for three months and to just work, work with them completely and totally like stress level is a huge thing to talk about when we talk about any condition. And you have to, as I said, meet that person where they're at. They sit in front of you and they're, you know, 
stressed out to the eyeballs and then they're trying to stress about their nutrition like you have to meet them halfway like you can't just give them this willy-nilly information and expect them to be able to follow it like then they're not going to get any results and then they're going to be disheartened from working with that practitioner and then they're the person that says nothing ever works for me so you have to be able to meet that person where they're at and yeah and treat it as a, as a whole person and not just their symptoms or not just by looking at their blood work markers or whatever it is and I'm interested to know just for anybody who is listening so when somebody comes to you with you know whatever problems they're having whatever symptoms or experiences um and maybe I, I mean I know for some of them like they'll have a diagnosis endometriosis PCOS but mm-hmm. what about those who don't have any diagnosis um, and are just coming to you with a range of different symptoms? So do you, like, how is it, are you able to kind of help them through a range of questions to determine where you need to go with this? Or do you require them to get like blood work done or mm-hmm. how would that work? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question and it kind of depends on the situation, you know. Um I can't diagnose any any disease, um, but I can work through symptoms to help them improve and to maybe again reach that root cause of the issues and of the symptoms and symptom management. Uh for testing, you know, I can't order blood work for them, but that's something that they can obviously do through their their general practitioner. Um, but I would do more like functional testing. So like functional hormone testing, like the Dutch test, which is um, really comprehensive urine testing. Um, so there is some functional testing that I would carry out, but things like blood work, um, I wouldn't be able to like order that, um, you know, and usually people would have have seen their GP anyways at this stage, you know, or, or been through maybe some specialists or whatever it is. Um, so more, yeah, symptom management um and trying to figure out what that root cause is and and the best course of action for them yeah thank Mm -hmm. you so with um this is kind of a good segue into what i wanted to ask you so i did a question box Mm -hmm. on my instagram earlier in the week and Mm -hmm. we did get a couple of questions from people so i'm just gonna get them up sure Um, and we can just, I mean, for anybody listening, please bear in mind as well that we have limited information here in these, you know, questions yes. that have been asked. And it's really important to to note that. I mean, there's only so much that you can talk about without understanding much, much more about that person and their problem. Exactly. So the first question is... Um, So this person said, the first few hours of my period are really bad. Severe cramps, vomiting, and the diarrhea. After I take a painkiller, it's totally fine for the rest of the time. Period is regular, always on time, four or five days, and everything else seems fine. What can I do? Okay. Yeah. So as you did say, it's, you know, it's very hard to give kind of like straight answers to these questions, but I'll I'll touch on the points that that people have brought up in them. So there would be some questions to ask there, like, is this person having a natural period or are they on birth control? Because um, that can be a big factor. Um, the symptoms that they're having are very 
well, the vomiting, not so much, but the, definitely the digestive issues is very normal around the start of your period, around the first few days of your period, um, because of what our hormones are doing and our prostaglandins, which are like hormone-like factors um, that modulate inflammation and they can affect the digestion. So constipation and diarrhea is actually really normal around the first couple of days of your period. So that's not something to be like very overly concerned with, although you might need some support in like managing that. Um, the vomiting, I couldn't kind of comment too much on it because I'd have to ask her more questions again as to as to what um like is it a natural period or is she on birth control? Um but yeah we could we could kind of work on delving into into why that is and then the fact that she takes a painkiller and then it kind of goes away um is also telling too that it's probably those those like prostaglandins at work there like a little bit overworked I would say. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And then the next one. Um, so I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, actually, who are going to also be really interested in this question in particular. Mm -hmm. So how long after coming off the pill until things are back to normal, please? My periods are regular, but I have bad acne, period cramps and constipation. I came off the pill two years ago but I still feel out of balance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So was her question, when will my period come back to normal? Is that what you said at the start? Um, I No, it says that her periods are regular and yeah. they're normal. Um, but since coming off the pill two years ago, she's had bad acne, period cramps and constipation. But mm -hmm. her periods are regular. Okay. Yeah, so her periods are regular, which is great, but there's, of course, still some imbalance there and some miscommunication. Um, and from being on the pill, we know that, you know, that communication between our brain and our ovaries is is taken over by the pill. So when we come off that, trying to restore that balance and bring that back to normal can definitely take some time. So the fact that her period is good is good. Um, the acne, constipation, um, that would we would delve in deeper as to what hormones are out of whack and out of balance um, and why, you know, usually we deal with like estrogen and progesterone um, and testosterone as well. So that can be a big factor for the acne. Um, but that would, yeah, we would look into her lifestyle, what she's eating, um, her, her stomach issues, you know, when someone just says diarrhea, like, I, I don't know what that is because I don't know what the frequency is, you know, so it's, it's um it's an imbalance in her hormones that needs to be that needs to be worked on through speaking with her um to create a protocol to to get her where she needs to be to work on the the acne and the stomach issues. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And is there um just to kind of dive a little bit deeper with that, is mm -hmm. there an um from the work that you do with people and what you know this or what you're aware of is there a particular time frame or is it not that simple of like people coming off the pill oh usually six months and things are beginning to go back to normal normally 12 yeah. months like is there a time yeah. frame or is it really just not that simple so yeah so what they say is like you know three to six months um to get your period back but it's that's such a simple 
whole, you know, kind of timeline. And also, as we can see from this girl, getting your period back to somewhat regular, that does not mean that your hormones are doing what they're supposed to be doing and that they're functioning correctly and that they are balanced. So that's also a big difference. And, you know, maybe if you go to your, maybe if you go to your GP, they might say, well, well, your period's back, you know, so that's, that's kind of enough, right? Um, so there, that's also a big part of the disconnect, just like what's happening with this girl. That's great. She has her period, but there's still some imbalance there with her, with her sex hormones, maybe with her stress hormones, you know, maybe with her blood sugar levels, her insulin. So we have to look at all of those hormones. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, I just want to ask on that because it's something that a lot of women might not really think about so in terms of like they're coming to you with problems to do with like say periods or cramps or digestive issues and it's interesting that you mentioned insulin um, and blood sugar there because that's not something that a lot of people would think of in relation to these issues and so could you just talk a little bit about that connection yeah, totally. So like blood sugar management is a huge piece of hormonal balance and also just general health and preventative health, you know, and having optimal blood sugar management so that your cell your cells are really insulin sensitive, which is what we want. We want really sensitive cells. <laughs> um, but the other side of that is insulin resistance. And that's where there can be too much sugar coming into the blood and our, our cells just become a bit resistant to it which long term leads to a lot of metabolic um, issues so what we want to focus on is is how to eat correctly for blood sugar management um, and also some lifestyle pieces into that as well like um, movement as well as a big part of that um, but blood sugar like control and insulin control it fits kind of directly in with like um, balancing your hormones and directly in with good health uh, like with having more energy and less cravings you know craving less sugar feeling more full after your meals um like a, a better sleep uh better skin all those kind of things does that make sense yeah it does yeah um yeah. and it's really interesting as well um so i mean it's it's been a long time since i've studied the endocrine system um so tell if you could tell me a little bit about because I'm very kind of rusty on it but obviously as we know it's it's very sensitive and it's all very connected so um I mean because a lot of I, what I notice with a lot of women is that when they say talking to me about like symptoms that they're experiencing sometimes they'll say and so I've been Googling online and this is about this information piece we were talking about. So I've been Googling online and I think I have a thyroid problem. But then I also think I might have um, estrogen dominance. And then I also think I might have, and there's just all of these different things in to do with their hormones and their endocrine system that they think they might have. Um, so a lot of the symptoms can kind of overlap or maybe having a problem with one can cause symptoms with another endocrine gland or part of the system. Mm -hmm. Could you just talk a little bit about that kind of yeah. connection and that balance? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of summed it up yourself. It's like 
um, a lot of the symptoms, especially of like quote unquote hormonal imbalance could be applied to like to anything, you know, and to any kind of maybe condition or disease. So um, and it, it is all interconnected exactly like it could be a problem with, you know, that brain and brain and ovary communication. It could be a thyroid problem. It could be a blood sugar management problem um, a digestive issue. So, you know, like fatigue. Right. It's just like one general symptom. Like nobody can say that, well, you're fatigued because you have a hormone imbalance. You know what I mean? Like that's such a broad statement. So you have to dive into what hormones are supposed to be doing what where's that disconnection and also that's where the functional testing would come in you know that's where that dutch test that comprehensive hormone test would come in because that would give you some clear direction and some clear answers yeah and actually this is just prompted now nobody asked this but i'm asking this because <laughs> i know somebody's thinking it um and you 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 might have answered it there but just let me know for a lot of women, and I've experienced this on my own journey, and it used to drive me mad. Um, but there'll be a lot of women listening who have gotten blood work done mm -hmm. and it's came back fine. However, all of their symptoms are indicating that they're not fine, you know? So what if they've got a lot of symptoms that are clearly indicating there's some sort of hormonal balance going on there, and yet their, their blood work from their doctor says, like, no problem, you're all okay. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Like, it happens a lot. Yeah. Um. So anyone that has experienced that, they're definitely not the only one to experience that. And, you know, just have to, like, acknowledge that it's extremely frustrating for that to happen to anyone because that person is, is living their life with, you know, these symptoms or with suboptimal health. And they're being told that every, that everything is normal. So that's that's just extremely frustrating for anyone. Um, but it, it happens it happens a lot. Um, and then we work, you know, with their symptoms, we can do a symptomatology workup to see what that is kind of guiding us towards. And when you work in a program like mine, you're going to be generally working on your on your nutrition, on your lifestyle, um, that these it's going to work through things anyways you know what I mean like if you're suffering with fatigue well you're going to have better energy when you're working through this program you know what I mean if you have digestive issues even if you don't have a diagnosis or you've been told everything's normal you know when we look at your symptoms and we curate kind of a protocol and a plan for you your symptoms will start to ease up you know whether you've had a diagnosis or not um is that helpful yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So I just want to check as well back to the questions because I'm not sure if there was. Um, okay, there was one more. So just for everybody listening as well, we did get a few more questions in. However, some of those questions were much, much more complex. And um, so just not really something that can be answered um or not something that even should be answered over a podcast you know because it's it's really going to take a lot more than that so for th those people who sent in those questions I have contacted them directly um, mm -hmm. but just one more question left that somebody had that we could kind of talk about mm -hmm. um, so this person says that since coming off birth control a few years ago she started getting really bad kidney pain all tests, scans, bloods turned up fine. And after a few months of 
After a few months of tracking, she noticed that it felt connected to her menstrual cycle. The kidney pain felt connected to her menstrual cycle. She did a bit of research and she ended up trying a supplement called DIM, um, which worked wonders and completely stopped her kidney pain. But as soon as she stops taking the supplement, the kidney pain starts again. So just to quickly summarize, she came off birth control. Since then, she's had bad kidney pain that gets better when she takes DIM. And as soon as she stops taking it, the kidney pain comes back. All of her bloods and tests are fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So probably a little bit more of, um, I don't want to give any like medical advice yeah. <laughs> because I can't. Um, but yeah, so like what's common to me there is probably like some detoxification pathways that maybe aren't like optimal right so if she's taken dim that's usually used to help kind of detox excess um, estrogens um, and it seems like when she's taken that her symptoms ease up um, so that would be something to really work on there is like you know we have a couple of different phases of detoxification that our liver like needs to go through in phase one and phase two and probably have an, a protocol kind of curated to help support that um, and then yeah probably followed up with maybe I mean, her blood work was normal, so I don't know what she would want to do there. And I yeah, I really don't want to give any like medical advice over over here. But that is what is common to me um, is more the detoxification um, and maybe an, an issue with that. OK, mm-hmm. um, so thank you so much for answering all of those amazing questions. Um, there's so much to unpack there for anybody who's listening. Um, and there is one more thing before we, we head off that I actually wanted to chat to you about and just highlight to people listening, because as I was looking through your Instagram page, I saw a post about this and I was just like, yes, yes, please. Um, because this is something that I have been saying for a long time and I don't think people place enough importance on this but I saw a post now I don't know word for word what it was but it was just in general about um how you eat being just as important as what you eat and I think that's really important to talk about and to highlight for people because um for a lot of people who are on this journey of healing like hormonal issues or women's health issues um a lot of the information out there is focused on what to eat. However, can you talk a little bit, can you dive a little bit into why how you eat is also really, really important for this journey? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's like how you eat, you know, like in a relaxed state. Um and your emotional state around eating. So if I take stress for an example, um, when your body is in that stressed, um, sympathetic state and your stress hormones are a little bit high, you're in that fight or flight um, mode. And what happens in fight or flight is, you know, basically like your, your bloodstream pumps the blood to your extremities, to your arms and your legs. And that's designed so that you can like run away from danger, right? Um, But what happens in that state is that our digestive system and our hormonal system takes a back seat because it's not like imminently important at that time because your body is like, I need to get away from danger or I need to deal with danger. And although that sounds extreme, I just mean when people are stressed, you know, about work or whatever, they're not actually running away from danger. But 
is it it shuts off like the communication in our in our digestive and hormonal system so um for hormone issues it's huge and for digestive issues it's it's massively important to be um eating when you're in more of a relaxed state when you're in that parasympathetic state uh, which is your rest and digest it's literally rest and digest so that you can digest your food properly um you know simple examples of you're eating your your lunch you know while you're working on your computer and then you complain about being bloated afterwards like just putting those pieces of the puzzle together you know you're not digesting absorbing and assimilating like the nutrients from your food properly when you're eating in a stress state or in an extremely emotional state you know no arguments at the dinner table you know put your phone and your and your laptop away and if it's if people are currently eating like three meals while they're very distracted well then make a commitment to just eat one you know without looking at your phone watching the tv uh looking at the looking at the computer um, and I think something that you just said there, which I, I really, it really kind of stuck a chord, was that you said, while you're at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people don't even sit at a dinner table anymore. They'll sit in front of the TV for every meal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when we're sitting in front of a TV, even if we're watching a funny or relaxing program, there's a stress response that's happening when you're sitting looking at a TV, just the same as there is when you're looking at a computer or at your phone. Even if you think that you're relaxing, you're actually not. That's not a form of kind of regulation or relaxation. And so like you said, you're not digesting and assimilating all of the, the nutrients that you could from that meal. So even like choosing to have your dinner at the dinner table instead of in front of the TV, could be a huge step in the right direction there yeah it's it's simple steps and that's because that's because we've had to adapt with like the world we live in now you know families maybe don't sit around a dinner table like like we used to or, or whatever right so um yeah making making those small changes uh because our brains you know they're so smart but it's still just it's still distracted um and distracted eating and it affects your you know your your hunger cues um and your feelings of fullness um and things like that as well so not just for optimal digestion um but also like fullness and kind of satiety after food as well um so yeah how how you eat um and how you eat can even play into like how you choose to like enjoy your food that you're eating you know that's another thing that comes with like improving nutrition is to make sure that you're eating like food that you enjoy you know that's still you know like helpful and nutrient dense um but not trying to sit there force a salad into you if you like absolutely hate it so that you know that's another part of the of the picture as well um so all of those come into yeah how you eat um but yeah your emotional state around eating is huge but the world we live on unfortunately there's there's a lot of stress and there's not a lot of time um so having to make conscious efforts um you know for more time around around meals and more relaxation around meals um makes a big difference and and that's what food is is about too it's joyful and connecting and community and you know family dinners and dinners with friends like that's you know bringing that real joy um back into food as well yeah and I think well what you said there that's so important because 
a lot of times when you don't make that conscious effort to create like scenarios of joy around food, for example, going out for meals with family and friends or even sitting outside at the garden table eating your food and laughing and stuff like that. If you don't make the time for joy around food in that way, then oftentimes you'll try and claw that joy back by late night snacking or binging on chocolate or getting five takeaways a week, you know? Exactly. Trying to get some satisfaction. Yeah. Like that, that piece is missing, right? So yeah, exactly. And that emotional eating piece comes into it um, hugely as well, you know, that yeah and our our brain it lights up you know when we eat you know a lot of sugary things or whatever so learning about that that's what it's all about education around food um but yeah how to eat is just as important as as what you eat yeah I was really happy when I saw that on your page um because it's it's just something that I've been very conscious of you know on my own journey um but then also just kind of chatting with other women and stuff as well because I notice a lot of people really get honed in just on the what to eat mm-hmm. rather than realizing you know like if you're eating every single meal in front of the tv and you're stressed and you're drinking coffee with it and you're on the phone and you know that plays a huge huge part as well so thank you so much for sharing that you're welcome oh it was so good to talk to you today yeah it was amazing so um I'd love to know for anybody who's listening and would like to either reach out to you find out more about what you do or just connect with you on social media where can they find you and for anybody listening I will also put these relevant links in the description yeah um so I'm most active on Instagram um so anyone can kind of head over there and there's some links to my website um where you can book a discovery call um and they can check that out so the handle is emily underscore awakened nutrition perfect thank you so mm-hmm. much um, oh, i'll so put them in the description for everybody and yeah just thank you so much that was really really interesting and um yeah i look forward to connecting with you myself Awesome. Oh, thanks so much, Kirsty. It was so lovely to chat to you today. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.